We are in 1 John chapter 5. First John chapter five. Thank you, Harf. Appreciate it. And I want to begin Yes, Phil, I'm gonna back up. <laughs> Let's back up to verse fourteen. Although I'm gonna zero in on verses sixteen and, and seventeen. Um and to some degree a little bit, 18. We're finishing up this book, and I know that we have at least, we have at least one more week here uh, in First John, maybe two. Um, just kind of work with it and, and see um, how much it is that I feel that the Lord would, would have us kind of zero in on. And uh, so verse 14 of First John chapter 5. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning, a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, And he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death, and I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has his he but he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. I'm going to keep going. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. And we are him, we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. Amen. Father, we ask that you speak to our hearts. Lord, help us to to hear this and to discern and to allow your spirit to speak and give us understanding. Help us to navigate what I believe to be a very difficult passage. So give us ears to hear. Lord, give me ears to hear. Speak through me, I pray. And Lord, we ask that you would use this, this time, this teaching this morning to build us all up in our most holy faith. We thank you, Lord, that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. So we ask, Lord, that you would have your way. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. We, last, we looked at this last week, and we looked at verse 14 and 15, and, and we talked about this idea of this confidence that we have that we can go before the Lord in prayer 
asking things in accordance with his will. And, and he does hear us. And we ask in his will, he does answer. Now, again, as I brought this up last week, the, the, the sticking point of, of passages like this are that, um, I don't know about you, and, and I pray, and I'm patient. I'm willing to wait a day, maybe two, three, I guess, right? And then you're going into weeks, Sometimes weeks become months, and months become years, and 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 um, there's almost this sense of discouragement. I think of John the Baptist, who recognized, who was given the sign of identifying the Messiah as the one whom the Holy Spirit would come upon, which the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in the form of a dove after Jesus was was raised up out of the water. And he would say things about Jesus like, he must increase and I must decrease, right? John did have a pretty good following. And in recognizing that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and his job was simply that of the forerunner. And you know the story about John the Baptist he was put in prison because he was um, he was calling Herod out for for marrying his brother's wife, and Herod didn't like that. Um, Herod's new wife liked that even less, and so he was thrown in prison. And when he was in prison, he sent message to Jesus: "Are you the one, or should we expect another?" See, he was firm in his calling. As the forerunner, he was firm in his identification that Jesus is the Messiah. But then he begins to languish in prison. And we're not told in the gospel how long that, that it was probably wasn't an incredible amount of time, but probably long enough uh, that, that he languished in prison praying and seeing this whole ministry just kind of a road and, and wondering what is it that you are doing and perhaps I misspoke or perhaps I misidentified and are you the one Jesus or should we expect another and of course I love the answer that Jesus I'm on a rabbit trail here but bear with me I love the answer that Jesus gave him because Jesus did not give him a direct answer but he pointed to the signs that a Messiah would be expect the Messiah excuse me would be expected to fulfill and he says, tell them that the dead are raised, that the lame are walking, that uh, people are being healed, um, that the gospel is being preached. And, and, uh, and so uh, no doubt that information came back to John, and, and John was probably reaffirmed. Um, but you think about John the Baptist's ministry. It was this glorious, incredible ministry uh, where he was the forerunner of the Messiah, but it ended in how? In him being executed. Because he called out Herod. And his head ended up on a platter. Literally. I don't know that I'd want to sign up for that. I 
And perhaps there are times that God in his wisdom does not give us the full picture. I had someone email me the other day about some video that's going around about the vaccine. I'm not, you probably have seen some of it. I'm not going to get into it. But I responded, and one of the things I told this person was that we, you need to watch and pray because these are difficult times that we live in. And, and, and just be watchful. Just be praying. Because um, I certainly don't have any answers. But I am also under the impression that nobody has any answers. Um, so we watch and we pray and we continue to trust and we continue to hold fast to the things that we have been instructed in Thank you, Phil. Um, and so, John takes the prayer life from petitioning God here to this prayer of intercession when he says in verse 16, if you see his brother sinning a sin, which does not lead to death, um, he will ask and God will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. So the big, the big, in other words, you've got to remember that part of this context, so the main context of what we are going to look at this morning is within the realm of prayer and interceding for people and, and, and praying on their behalf. And I mentioned this already, but notice it doesn't say that you're to go to him and correct him. Now, there are other passages that Matthew 18, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, that, that would would encourage a believer to do that. You who are spiritual, restore such a one considering yourself, lest you also be tempted, right? Um, But here, John is simply telling us just to pray for people when we see a brother. It didn't say um, sister, by the way, so I guess ladies at this time will say you're off the hook. I'm kidding. But anyway, if you see a family member, another Christian sinning, to pray for them. And boy, if you haven't prayed before you try to go and try to straighten them out, God help you. Or maybe you deserve what you get. And I'll just leave it at that. How's that? There's only one Holy Spirit. And we're not it. We're filled with the Spirit. But he has a much better ability to speak to the hearts of people than you and I do. And I have to remember that, and I have to trust in that. So if, we, if we, we see someone sinning a sin that does not lead to death, we're to pray for him, and, and God would grant him life, all right? Um, it says that he should pray, which is kind of a future tense verb, which literally means he will pray. Uh, and, in other words, uh, uh, John is really saying this is more of a reaction that we should have. Follow this, okay? Because the grammar implies this idea that when we see someone and we will pray, it's more of a reaction that we should have rather than an imperative that we must do it. Does that make sense? In other words, John, John is... Now, now think about what, what's really being said here. John is calling us to have those godly reactions in our life. 
that quite frankly, often I think they're only built by practicing and, and becoming habit. What's your first response when you see someone sinning? I bet they're numerous. Probably as many as the people in this room. Do you pray? Do you judge? Do you correct? Do you get on the phone and tell somebody? That reminds me of the time that three pastors got together. I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but I think it's kind of fun. Three pastors get together and they decide they were going to do an accountability group. And so the three of them decided they were going to share their sins with each other. Among pastors, bad idea, trust me. Okay, anyway, first pastor says, you know, well, I'll go first. I have a problem with lust, and I lust after women, and I do it all the time, and I pray for help, and I still, I struggle with it all the time, so brothers, would you please pray for me? And the two sit there very quiet, and they nod their head. And the second guy says, well, I got a problem with alcohol. I got a fifth of Jack Daniels on the side of my bed. I drink <clears throat> some of it every night before I go to bed. I'm just so stressed out or what. I don't know what the case is, but I need to stop drinking. Could you please, please play, pray for me? And the two other pastors sit there and they nod their head. And the third pastor said to him, well, you know what? I got a problem with gossip and I just can't wait to get out here and go tell somebody. All right? All right? <laughs> I love that joke. I've told it to you before. But anyway, I love that joke. Be careful who you share your sins with. Do we have these type of reactions built into our life? These admonitions from the scripture that, that say, that when you see this going on, you should be a praying person. Do we pray or do we blab? What do we do? See, this is why we discipline ourselves. First Timothy in the New American Standard talks about this. We discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Because our default is really to not being godly. That's our default. That's our natural, that's our natural inclination. I walk up to one of you right now. We'll pick on Jackie because she's closest. All right. I walk up to Jackie right now and I, I insult her. What would be her inclination? Now, she's a very godly woman. Oh, she would hit me. Okay. So there you have it. Thanks, Jackie. You're a good sport. <laughs> Let me give you some advice here. Never insult Jackie. How's that? Okay. She's got a mean right hook. Um, often that is our reaction. Again, I'm not picking on you here, you know, but again, thanks for being a good sport, but, but we have to build these things into our lives to be a praying person. And, and so what is the difference here between a sin that does not lead to death and a sin that leads to death? That's kind of the bulk of this little section here. And so I'm going to give you a couple of different ideas. Because I'm not totally sure myself. Maybe some of you are. And if you'd like, you can come up and take my place and we'll, we'll finish up. But, but because to me, it's not that clear. It's really not that clear. I'll give you three things. Well, actually four. Well, maybe five. But anyway, we'll start with four. All right. Some believe that this is a specific deadly sin. 
Okay, I'm just telling you what some believe. Now, I don't believe that, but some people believe. Because why am I telling you this? Because you will run into Christians of all different stripes and ideas and different doctrines and different theologies who have been taught different things about passages like this. What is the sin that leads to death? And it's, it's pretty much agreed upon that the death that is, that is being spoken about in this passage does not refer to a physical death. It refers to a spiritual death. Now, that's one thing I need to clarify here because I've had this passage applied. I remember a friend of mine, his church, his church, rightly so, I might add, they came and disfellowshipped him. He was living in sin, and so they like, you're under church discipline. Until you repent, don't come back. And it was a church that had membership, so they pulled his membership. Um, kind of harsh, but I'm not going to go into the details. But when they stood at the door, his doorway, and told him this, they warned him that there was a sin unto death, right? And um, they were under the impression that that was a physical death. I believe this is speaking spiritually. I, th- I think this is talking about a spiritual death. So first of all, you have a specific deadly sin, all right? We, we do see this in the Old Testament, all right? This is some of the thinking behind this. Again, I'm not in, I don't think this is what this is talking about. Your mileage may vary as it always does here, right? But some people see in the Old Testament the difference between sins that were committed in ignorance and sins that were committed deliberately. If you committed a sin in ignorance, there was a sin offering that you could provide an atonement for, for your ignorant sin. Now, some of us are so ignorant, we'd be out of animals so quick. But anyway, um, but there was also those deliberate sins. That, and, and tell you what, Torah is harsh. Basically, it says that it's a deliberate sin that you pay with your life physically. Um, so that is one of the views here. Uh, I don't think that that is what what John is referring to here because we have to interpret this within the entire context of this entire letter. And I don't have time to do that and backtrack for you, but but I would suggest that maybe you do some digging on this on your own. Okay, that's one view. The second view is is, um, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We see this in Matthew chapter 12. We see this in Mark chapter 3. Um, where it is a deliberate rejection of the ministry of the Holy Spirit who speaks to your spirit and tries to reveal to you the truth of who Jesus is, which the book of 1 John is all about who Jesus is, correct? There's a lot really that's said about here in this book about sin. And remember, this book is written to uh, to address those who were false teachers who had departed from the truth. All right? I can tell this is going to be a long one. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to try to be brief. So it's this idea of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit where they attributed, in, in, in Matthew chapter 12, they attributed the works of Jesus that were not being done by the Spirit of God or not being done by God the Son, but they were being done by the power of Beelzebub. I'll let you look at Matthew 12 later if you want. I've got to keep moving. That's the second view. Um, third view. A total rejection of the gospel. Now, 
Some differentiate the total rejection of the gospel between that and the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and they got kind of a good point. But I also think that if you totally reject the gospel, you have blasphemed the ministry and the witness of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So to me, I kind of combined two and three. Others separated them. But this idea of totally rejecting the gospel, uh, um, and, and so... Uh, you're given the gospel message and you decide not to receive Christ. You decide that you do not need to receive Christ. And so you're rejecting the good news. You're rejecting God's work of atonement in your place to bring you into a right relationship with God. You refuse, in essence, to become a Christian. Uh, that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, so, it's important to recognize that those who have not sinned unto death, John says, pray for them. That those who have apparently committed a sin that leads to death, he says, I do not say that he should pray about that. Now that to me is, is not also, in the, and the grammar would bear this up, that's not an imperative either. What John is saying is that some of these people have probably gone so far in the rejection of the gospel, possibly even into a blasphemy of the Holy Spirit that praying them for them would not do any good. But I also believe that often it is that it is probably beyond our pay grade to make that call where someone is in their relationship with God. All right? There have been few times, I've only been a Christian for a while, okay? There have been few times that I may have encountered someone who may have committed this unpardonable sin of blaspheming the Holy Spirit because of their total rejection of the gospel. But I've also wanted to hold those judgments with extreme reservation and care and... I'm not going to go around telling everybody about it, okay? And um, my, my personal view, for the most part, for most people, is as long as they have breath, they have a chance to get saved. I saw that happen with my own dad, who, um, who really had a spirit of the Antichrist, and that's probably putting it mildly. And he received Christ in about the last five waking moments of his life. Um, God is greater than all our sin. Um, thank God, because I've done a lot of them, okay? And so have you. And, and, and so... When we look at passages like this, it really also brings up almost like secondary questions. And this is where I'm going to step on some of your toes. Okay? You're okay with that? Jackie already is. She's going to hit me later. But anyway. How do we know when a person is committed to sin unto death? How do we know that? 
And is John saying that there are no circumstances in which we are to, to pray for such a person? See, to me, these are very hard questions. John doesn't give answers to those questions. And, and because of that, it, it, it makes this text very difficult to live out, to apply in our lives. I thought my dad was beyond the grace of God. I really did. I've met a few other people that I thought were beyond the grace of God. But again, that old hymn, grace is greater than all our, grace that is greater than all our sin. There was actually a time in my life for a period of time that I thought I was beyond the grace of God. Grace is greater than all our sin. I'm sure some of you have felt that same way about your own lives. But God's grace is greater. And Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we know in part and we prophesy in part. And so we are stuck with knowing in part and forth, forthtelling, forthtelling the word of God. That's prophecy in part. In other words, we don't have the full complete picture. And if we are sure that, I'm going to get a little bit, I'm going to step on some toes here. If we are sure that we do not have the full and complete picture, maybe the best thing we can do is to keep our mouth shut publicly and pray privately. Like some of those who prophesied that Donald Trump was going to win the election, hands down. According to Deuteronomy 18, we take those guys out and stone them. I don't necessarily suggest that, but your mileage may vary. How's that? You know, can I rant just, just for a second? Just for a second. All right, thanks. We have enough to contend with in our Christian lives, battling with the forces of darkness to, to just to live godly, pure and God-honoring lives, why do we have to mess around with all this silliness? And, and, and while there is a little bit of that that really is attractive to me, the, 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 the collateral damage of, of all the error in these things, I'm talking about Pentecostalism, if you're not tracking with me, that the, the collateral damage is, can be huge. You know, I just want to walk with Jesus. Even if it means they're going to walk me into an oven. Which some of the conspiracy nuts are starting to talk about again. I mean, people, excuse me. I apologize for that. But can a, a true Christian, another question here, another, or to me, even a, a, another secondary question, question that I think we need to think about, and I know we're going we're gonna to part ways. Some of us are going to part ways on this a little bit, and God bless us all anyway, all right? Can a true Christian actually apostatize? Can a true Christian actually leave the faith? Experience has taught me that sometimes the answer to that question, now I said experience, okay, follow me. 
and seeing people. I've seen pastors. I've known of pastors who have left the faith. Some very well-known pastors recently, even reform types, have left the faith. Were they a Christian to begin with? Were they never a Christian and just put on a good act? Did they really have the power to walk away from the one who says that no one plucks them out of my hand? And we all want to try to make sense of this. I can see it in some of your eyes. Even some of you got your mask on. Anyway, we all want to make sense of this. And I think often it is is because we are afraid, understandably so, for our loved ones, especially those that are not really walking with Christ. I think we have a real level of honesty at times. We could even be afraid for ourselves. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to lead the God I love. But if we just cleave to Jesus, if we just seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, which I could preach a whole sermon just on that phrase, Matthew 6.33, then all these things will be added unto you. The more I read, the more I study, the more I observe, I'm convinced the less I concretely know. And I don't like it. And then some of you look at me like I just grew a second head when I say these type of things. But it doesn't all make sense. But it does seem clear. Let me give you a little bit of certainty here because I know some of you really like that. It does seem clear that according to at least what John is telling us in this letter that that's not possible. Uh, A believer... A believer cannot persist in sin because God's seed or God's spirit remains in him. That's 1 John chapter 3, verse 9. Just write these down. Don't worry about because I'm going to bust through them because we're almost done. A believer cannot persist in sin, John 3, 9. A believer cannot continue in sin because God keeps him safe and not allowing the evil one to harm him. You see, we read it. We're not going to look at it maybe next week. We know that, verse 18 of chapter 5, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. Okay? So it seems to me that that person who is being spoken about in John, 1 John chapter 5, verse 18, cannot be the same person who has done a sin leading to death. Does that make sense? All right, I think John is talking about two different people, about the ones who do a sin that can lead to death and those who are kept from sin and kept from the wicked one. 
because not only am I saved by the finished work of Jesus Christ, I am kept and I am sealed by the work of the Holy Spirit. Because if it were up to me, I would have probably have lost it a long time ago. Especially when you get saved when you're little and then you grow up in the 60s. All right, I'll let you figure that one out on your own. Okay. First John chapter 2, verse 19. I'll read it real quick. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, if they had been of us, if they had been in the faith, if they had truly had a, I believe, a born-again experience, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest or made known that none of them were of us. See, I read that in First John chapter 2, verse 19, and that tells me that a lot of people come in and they can... They can play a good Christianity. And they can talk a good Christianity. And they can fool some of the people all the time. You can't fool or fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. We're good there, right? Okay. And so this this indicates that this idea of leaving the faith, leaving the true faith, uh, is a, is is not something that true believers do. And I remember I was I was I had a coworker. He was a total icehead, okay, total crankster. All right, methamphetamine. If you don't know, what I'm talking about. All right. You can imagine how much fun he was to work with, right? It was a construction job. That's how it was, okay? And one time he, and it was, he, one time he actually, we actually got, had a real conversation. And he was just, un, he just couldn't understand why his life was such a mess. Well, let's talk about those lines you're doing, for starters, anyway. And he said, you know, I tried to give my life to God. I prayed that prayer. Maybe he meant it. Maybe he really got saved. Maybe he had some serious issues. I don't know. I remember just kind of encouraging, trying to encourage him. I mean, again, the guy, the guy spun as, you know, like a hamster on a wheel, right? So normally you can't really talk a whole lot of sense to people when they're in that condition. This idea of then going back to your first love. And, and and the thing is that the, the true believer, the true believer will backslide. The true believer will dishonor the Lord. The true believer will quench the spirit. Bless you. The true believer will grieve the spirit. But the true believer, I believe, is held in the palm of his hand. And no one can take you from that. 
And I believe that doesn't mean you can wriggle, wiggle your way between the fingers. I think that's kind of, can I, uh, that's kind of a silly, I cleaned it up for you. That's kind of a silly explanation, I think. And it, it, really, it really takes the illustration that Jesus is giving us uh, and, and, and kind of almost cheapening, cheapening it. Well, why didn't Jesus say then you can't wriggle out between his fingers? Well, that, what a, that's like asking if God can make a rock that he can't pick up, okay? You know, be a good exegesis. But nonetheless, we're told unrighteous, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. That's given to us. Now, he's, John is not trying to minimize sin, but he's also trying to give us some, some reassurance. He talked earlier in John 3, uh, 1 John 3, 3, where, where it talked about sin is lawlessness. Here he's, uh, he says that it's unrighteousness. The, the first really speaks about rebellion against God in, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. But here in, in 1 John chapter 5, it's talking about a violation of God's standard as what of Excuse me, a violation of God's standard of what is right or what is righteous. It's a different context. And so, yes, all unrighteousness, all violations of God's standard is sin. And there is sin not leading to death. Remember, in the same letter, he tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. And thank God for that. Thank God that 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 is in the Bible. Thank God that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Not we are faithful and just. And, and, and so and we, we kind of got into a discussion. I'm not going to repeat it. For uh, We kind of talked about it at the end of Wednesday night of, about sin and and. When we were done, one of the things I wanted to underscore is is grab a hold of this grace. Grab a hold of this grace. Now, I'm not giving you a license to sin, okay? So, Jackie, you can't hit me. I'm sorry. But anyway, I'm not giving you a license to sin. But what I'm saying, because anyone who does sin, it says that we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have that advocate, His salvation for us is provided by him, is led by his wooing of his Holy Spirit toward him. It is sealed by him. It is maintained by him. And it will be one day when we go into the presence of God, it will be fully and completely realized by him. The only part of our equation in any of this 
is that we say yes to Jesus. That's it. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but by his mercy that he has saved us. So as we see the sins of others and we pray, let's remember the sins of the person in the mirror. And continue, 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 continue to say yes to Jesus. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Paul tells Timothy that when we are faithless, which means we will be faithless at times. He is faithful because he cannot deny himself. Thank God, or we'd all be up a creek. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your great grace by which you save us, you keep us, you sustain us, And that one day we will fully realize our salvation in your presence. As we hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And even in thinking about those lords, we confess that we only possibly could get to hear them because of what you have done. Because of your great grace. Lord, we, we, we pray this morning, too, for loved ones that, that we read passages like this and we, we get a sense of, of, of uh, concern and even fear. We pray, Lord, for them. Lord, they're on our hearts right now. You know them. And we pray that by your spirit that you would draw them, that you would speak to them, that you would convict them, that they would say yes to Jesus. We hold them up to you right now. We pray, Lord, a blessing upon each of us here. We pray, Lord, that you would cleanse us because you are faithful and just to forgive us. And we'd ask, Lord, too, that you would continue to keep us safe physically. We do pray for our nation. And, Lord, we have no hope in them. But we have hope in you. Help us to be light. Help us to be salt. Help us to be a faithful presence to live the gospel of Jesus Christ in a world that is just very dark. So we pray, Lord, again, for your blessing. We thank you for your presence and that you have inhabited this space with us this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name.
And everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.